Hello and welcome to the Virtual Frontier, the podcast about virtual teams created by a virtual team. I'm Chris and I'm part of the team here at FlashUp. On today's episode, we are very excited to be joined by Marcus Reitner. Marcus has been speaking and writing about virtual teams and new work since 2010. Marcus and Manuel had an excellent conversation that I'm very excited to share with you. So here is episode eight of the Virtual Frontier featuring our guest, Marcus Reitner. Today we have uh, Markus Reitner on our show today, and I'm happy to have you here. So Markus, introduce yourself to the audience, please. So thanks for having me. Um, it's great to be here. Uh, actually, it's my first podcast in English, so um, <laughs> so I think it will work, but um, let's see. So um, I'm Markus. Um, I'm act currently working for the BMW Group IT. Um, um, so, but I have a, a very different um, history. So, I studied computer science. Orig computer science originally did a PhD in computer science, and then did what so many people uh, do: working IT consultancy. Uh, then, in 2010, uh, we we founded our own startup, um, still doing uh, project management consulting, uh, consulting and stuff like this, doing project management, um, but. After five years, I had to 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 rethink everything, uh, and uh, the startup didn't work uh, very well for me. At least it it worked well on a financial basis, but for me, uh, there was not enough in it, uh, not enough purpose in it. So I I switched to the uh, to my customer finally, which was BMW at uh, from two thousand and five. Uh, until two thousand and fifteen, and then I switched as an internal employee to BMW. Um, where I actually started as an IG project lead, uh, but then um, eventually got into this agile transformation thing uh, because I was uh, always trying to improve the organization. I was always trying to find all the IT projects where we do agile already, what we can learn from them. And then I, I tried to link the people together and to learn from them. Um, and this eventually got me in a, in a, in a more, more and more strategic position uh, where we, and, and then I finally was in the heart of this agile transformation thing where, I, where I'm right now already. Mm -hmm. That's pretty interesting. So you started as a founder and then you um, got some experience in this startup and then you moved over to BMW, your current yeah. And um, what was the, the base for the decision to switch to BMW, which is not a startup, it's a big corporation, a worldwide one? No, no, we, we just turned 100 years, right? Uh, and it's a big corporation with about 120,000 employees worldwide. Um, um, yeah, this is, I, I recently reflected on this a bit, um, why this transition uh, happened and, and, what it made, what it made so hard for me, right? So, um, so basically, it was because this startup thing didn't work for me um, because there were two founders, um, so two people in charge, and and we we couldn't agree on what this purpose of this organization should be, right? Uh, so for not for me, for the other one, it was more about profit. And, and I was still looking for 
what is the purpose for this organization so if you do it project consulting so what is the purpose of these people coming together in an organization besides from making profit and this is is, is a question that is not so easy to answer um, and i was trying to answer it but but we we couldn't come to a, to a common denominator right so uh, it was it, we just uh, broke up right mm -hmm. and i and and then i got a i got an offer from bmw and and this is what happened so i just choose this offer and then switch to the customer this was, was not a, a very deliberate process right this was just the the first best offer i got mm -hmm. And now you help BMW to transform to an agile organization. I mean, that sounds really huge, but you need to go step by step. And how does your startup experience help you to do this job and to tackle the corporate challenges? Well, um, first, it, it helped me um, in as much um, as I, I didn't want to fit as, as just some cog in this big machine. Uh, but rather I wanted to to work to improve the organization and the way that people are working there so I always had this uh, mindset to improve things not just to uh, to accept the job I'm being offered uh, and and just to fill my role as a cog in a huge machine um, I always was looking on the things how to improve them and I, I often didn't ask for permission to to improve things though so i just did them um mm -hmm. and this eventually got me um in a position where, where i was working more and more on this system instead of working in this system mm -hmm. so it, it it really helped me this mindset of of uh i'm i have to and i'm allowed to improve the organization This is not. This is what, what not so many people in big corporations really have, because they are used to fill in their role. Absolutely agree. So, what you brought from a, from your experience as a founder of a startup to a big corporation is that sometimes you just see problems and you solve them instead of going through all the slow processes of a corporate organization, right? Absolutely. You just do it and you don't ask for permission. Uh, I mean, there is basically no one you can ask for permission if you're the, the managing director of a startup. Right? Mm -hmm. And this is the kind of individuals that bring an organization forward. What would you say, which personal attributes does an employee need to act like this? Well, um, I think It, it takes courage um, and and it takes um, well of course creativity and you, you have to imagine a better future right um, but but I think courage is the, is the most important thing um, because it's it's always easier to to just do what you are asked for to do your job right? <laughs> and, and not to make any problems so to say mm -hmm. um, Because if, if you challenge the status quo, you're always making problems, right? Mm -hmm. you, yeah. You're causing your problem for someone at least. Um, and this, I think, takes uh, courage and, and I think also a, a bit of idealism, right? To, to strive for a better organization. It, mm. I think it takes a little bit of idealism. Okay. Um, in your recent blog posts and in your 
general posts that you spread on social media and on your blog, um, you talk about personal or even working sustainability. What do you mean by that? Can you talk about this topic? Yeah, yes, absolutely. Sure. Um, this is something um, that I, that I, I'm, that, that has challenged me for, for a very long time right now. Because um, when I look at how people work in those big corporations and I, when I look at their schedules and it's, it's very common to see schedules like from 7 a.m. to let's say 6 p.m., right? And they are um, meeting after meeting, right? And this is how these people um, tend to work. At, at least this is what they call work. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I don't think that this is very sustainable uh, in the sense that um, you, you are looking after your own resources. So it's just, um, it's just a hustle, right? Mm -hmm. So the people go from one meeting to another meeting. And, and I, in, in my opinion, that you can't get much work done in this in, in this schedule so this is something uh, that that is really intriguing me um, because I I don't work in in such a way so um, I always so I personally I believe that it's not about the hours you put into it <laughs> so it's more about the outcome and and so, the whole and the whole system is is based on the hours you put into it. So yeah. you, we, we measure the hours that people are in the office. Mm -hmm. um, and and we, we think there is a correlation to the output, which I, I simply don't believe, right? Just being in the office is not output, is not outcome, Definitely it's just not. input. It's just hours you are present. Yeah. And this is, um, what I'm always thinking about because if you look at the things I'm doing, so I'm very present on social media, I'm writing blog posts. And so I'm often writing blog posts on our HR transformation mm -hmm. and, and at least on things that are related to our HR transformation. And I'm not even sure if this is work or not. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, um, and, and for sure I can't measure this thing so uh, it, that just doesn't make sense right so um, i don't have this distinction between work and life so for me at least since since is startup years there is no longer a distinction for me between work and life and does that mean that you work the whole day no absolutely not um so i i have a very very strict rule so uh, on three days a week, I take uh, our two children to the kindergarten, which means that I'm rough, roughly about nine o'clock in the morning uh, in the office. And I have a strict rule that I'm home uh, for dinner. Mm -hmm. So because I want to have dinner with my children, and this is about 6 p.m. So... Yeah. I'm always trying to limit the, limit the time in between because this is a very agile principle. If you limit things, you will get focus 
And if you have focus, you will get things done. So yeah. it's, it's not that if you have more time, it's not that you get more things done, you will just use more time. Mm -hmm. That's a good hint for our audience as well. And for me, it's very interesting. If you limit things, you will get better results. That's what I experienced uh, in the past, but I was not really aware of that, that this correlates with each other. And that's a really smart thing. I will keep that in mind. <laughs> Thanks for sharing. But um, so when you experience that it's possible to work from home and you can get more things done with less time, And I experience that working with virtual teams is possible. Like we have more than 150 people spread and all over across the world. Chris is one of these virtual team members. He sits in the US and he's working with us. That works very well. And we just care about the output. I don't care about his stress. I don't care about uh, what he does when he's not online. We just agree on a result or on an output and that works but what do you think why do so many people have to go to the office why do so many people have to commute two or even three hours a day and why do we have to build so many office towers if this is just not necessary well <clears throat> so it's so it's i think it's a relic from the industrial age so, because in a factory, you just have had to be present on the shop floor, right? So it's, it's, there's no option of home office in a factory. So, um, and f from time to time, the, 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 the work changed, the nature of work changed. And it's not, not, no longer just factory work, manual work on a, on a shop floor, but it's, it's more knowledge work. And, and, but the, um, the time schedule and being present in one place, this was just, um, no one questioned it, right? No, they just transferred it to the knowledge age, uh, knowledge uh, work area. Right. And that's how it is at the moment. So people are commuting and, and finally it's about control, right? So right. If, if you have all the people that work for you in one room, you, you can control them, right? At least you have to that you can. Yes, yes, it's an illusion because you, what you only can control is that they are um, present, that they are sitting there, but you can't control if they are really uh, producing something, if they are producing output. Mm -hmm. And if you could control that and they work uh, digitally, they can do it from everywhere in the world. That's, that's the thing. And what do you, what do you think... Um, corporations need to understand or to do to make this shift to get rid of all these borders and barriers that limit themselves in growing on the one side because of a huge gap of talent and that limits individuals from growing personally and from aligning their personal life with their professional life what do they need to understand and do well I think that um... As I said before, it's about control and, and control is just um, the other side of, of distrust, right? So um, I think we should all question why we don't trust the people that work for us. Or at least don't trust them so much that we 
will let them work in home office, which is possible at BMW, by the way, but it's it's not that you work every day in home office. It's it's more or less the exception, right? Mm-hmm. So um, it's all about trust. So giving the people, um, or it's, it's more about what we, how we conceive human nature. If we, it's, it's more about theory Y, theory X. So if we, think more about people being self-motivated and, and trying to give their best on the one hand, um, then the system, the organization we build would look differently than the organizations we have at the moment, which are built basically on distrust. So mm-hmm. people, these, are, these organizations we currently see are built on the, on the paradigm of distrust. So mm-hmm. we have to control people, we have to motivate people because if we don't, they will, will not work. This is yeah. the paradigm we have at the moment. Mm-hmm. And if you see that more and more people or the workforce is shifting to a freelance culture, hmm. much more in the US where 2020 there's uh, I think a forecast of 50% will be freelancers. In Europe, it will be 25 up to 30%. Mm. Which challenges will organizations face when they see these trends? Well, I mean, the first challenge probably will be you won't get any employees. So because <laughs> they will be freelancing um, and, and you have to make this uh, useful for you. You have to make this uh, work for you. Um, and, and I mean, knowing our IT landscape and regulation landscape in, in, in Germany, um, I can say there are a lot of, of hurdles at the moment um, because these organizations are not are just not built for um, dealing with um, so much freelancers. So, um, and, and our, our laws, by the way, are not built this way. So... Um, so I, I think Germany will be the, the last country where we will see this trend mm-hmm. because all the politics are, are not in favor of it. But do you think that's real re- reality that all our legal circumstances and the things how we do and work in Germany will really prevent us from going virtual or work with freelancers. I'm not talking about hiring a freelancer so that the freelancer will sit in your office the whole day. This is Mm. what some do and they get punished by the government because it's not aligned with our law. Um, But if we are talking about open up your borders for international freelancers and don't hire them to sit full time in front of the camera and work for you, Mm. but just buy a piece of something from them, buy an output from them, and then maybe let them move away to another job and hire another one. So like a liquid or fluid workforce. I think this is not against our law. It's more against the way how we think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if we, if we already distrust our own employees, so uh, we, we probably won't trust any freelancer, right? That's a good thing, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just an illusion. Um, this is yeah. it's all about um, how we look at people, right? Mm-hmm. And, and how we think they are motivated and, and how, we, how we look at their purpose and mm-hmm. stuff like this. It's, mm-hmm. it's not, yeah. This is, I think, the, the most basic 
thing is trust. Mm -hmm. So it's trust and control. Hmm. It's being afraid of the flexibility that you have. And it's against what we've learned and experienced in the past. Now let's go back like 10 or 15 years. Hmm. I think only 10 years is enough when this cloud trend oh. appeared first time. And hmm. today, if organizations don't have a cloud strategy, they are considered to be dead in like 10 years. Um, and in the very beginning, it was always necessary to have your server below your desk. And then it was okay if it is in a data center, but it should be in the same city. Then it appeared to be okay if the data center is in Germany, and then it was okay to move over to the cloud. Hmm. And even today, I know BMW works with AWS, for example, hmm. which is neither below your desk, nor is it a data center in Germany, hmm. at some parts it is, but it is an American organization. So there was a shift in the mindset and there was a shift in how people think about cloud. Do you think in the next 10 years, the same shift will happen for new work, virtual teams, remote organizations, and all these things related <coughs> to people? I think so, um, at least for the area I'm working, because um, I'm, I'm basically doing software development, right? Uh, and good software developers are a scarce resource. So um, they are not easy to get, and, and definitely they are not easy to get in Munich, hmm. um, and which also goes for any other big um, area. They are not easy to get in Berlin either. So um, I think, and, and on the other hand, most of the things that make a difference in the future will be made of software. So even if we are, uh, if you look at our cars, more and more of the things that the customer really, customer really sees that is a difference will be made out of software. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's autonomous driving, for instance, it's basically software, right? Um, so to get these, um, these scarce resources, you have, you, you can't, you can't have them traveling to your office. You have, I think it will be necessary to have a virtual um, collaboration between these people like we have in open source communities, like many other software companies are doing. Um, yes, I think this is the, these are the main um, two trends. We have more and more things are made out of software and there are just few people that are able to do software. Mm -hmm. And uh, now the challenge is that organizations need to attract good or even excellent people. They could either do this by shifting their workforce to virtual teams, mm. or they can do it in a way that they are very attractive, not only for customers, but also for talent. And um, what do you think, how does an organization need to look like in the near future so that is really attractive for mm. top talent? Um, so this might be just, uh, my opinion and, and, and how I want to be attracted. So what I conceive is a, is an attractive workplace. So, but flexibility is key for me. So I want to choose where to work and when to work. Uh -huh. okay. And this is, 
this is absolutely key for me. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I want to have want to have the flexibility within our offices, like to to choose my desk if I need uh, more like an, a, a library atmosphere where no one is talking and I just can focus on on getting stuff done. And on the other hand, more a let's say cafeteria um, style and to choose this flexibly. Mm-hmm. So for me, I, I take the freedom. So I, I just go where I want and work where I want. Um, so if, if I feel like I go to Starbucks and work there, so uh, even if I, I'm, I'm an employee of BMW, I, I choose my, my workplace relatively freely. So mm-hmm. if, if I want to work somewhere else, I, I will do so. And I think this is key, this flexibility in mm-hmm. working when and where is key. Yeah. So what you need to be happy in your work is what organizations and corporations and most managers are afraid of. This is the high flexibility and that you can work where you want, Hmm. when you want, with whom you want, in which environment you want. Hmm. And this is only one thing because you want flexibility with an organization that you work over years. So they know you. They could trust you. They are able to grow a relationship to you um, or with you in like two years or more. So they know people, they are working with them. Hmm. On the other side, if you are talking about flash organizations where you don't even know the people personally, we, Hmm. for example, even build trustless teams to build a team where people don't know each other so Hmm. that there is a high interest in um, quality assurance because if they don't know each other, they don't trust each other. That means it's good for the project because they really look deep into what was done and they take their job serious because they are not part of a corporation. They are all freelancers and they want to do their job good. Mm. Do you think it will ever happen that corporations use this form of virtual teams? Like here's a project get your virtual team in a day, work with this team. And if it's not required anymore, shut it down. Like cloud technology, you know? Yeah, I know. Um, Well, I don't think so. Um, Personally, I don't think so. Um, I think there will be very successful companies built on this model. I, I totally believe in this. So it's not that this model is not working, it is. And I have seen it working, it is working. But um, I just can't can't think um, how a big corporation will um, make this shift to this kind of organization. Yeah, me too. I'm, no, I I can't just imagine it. So now the challenge of a big corporation is that um, they need to transform to digital, to agile, to virtual. Which one is the most important from your perspective? Um, Well, like I said, I'm in the heart of this agile transformation. So it's, uh, of course, agile. Agile is for me um, at, at the center. Mm-hmm. Because digital and digital business models and stuff like this, they follow. 
they need um, this agile software development. Mm -hmm. They need an agile organization to be able to to uh, try out new business models, to try out new stuff. So I think this is the, the, the most important enabler to have agile teams that are able to try out new stuff in, in very short cycles and to learn very quickly. Mm -hmm. So it's, a, it's not about technology. Um, it's about the way people think in the organization that they don't have safety and security first stick to what you are used to do because then you will not make any mistakes um, but be flexible and try things out and allow mistakes and then correct them and continuously learn absolutely technology yeah. will will follow yes. um, so because if you give people this idea that being agile being adaptable is the most important thing at the moment and if you tell them like we did It's not that we want to have two releases a year. We want to have 50 deployments a day. Mm -hmm. This makes something that the people, they have to rethink the way they are building software. There is just no such thing as manual testing then. If you do it 50 times a day, you have to automate everything, right? Mm -hmm. Or you have to even get rid of testing and, and, and say like monitoring is the new testing. And stuff like this so people have to really uh, um, make a, a shift in their minds so mm -hmm. this is so what i mean first comes the mindset and then the people will find the right technology mm -hmm. yeah that is what i experience as well um, and on the other side people that have an agile mindset they can really imagine how virtual teams work so the base is thinking agile and do you think that in a corporation as BMW, it's possible that all people working there will do this transformation, this agile transformation in their mindset? Well, we are definitely, as, at least for the IT, we are definitely working on this stuff. So, um, and, and I can say we are really on a good way. And even um, they are, it's not the freelance stuff you, you, you mentioned before, but, mm -hmm a lot of our work is virtually. So um, you probably have, have read it in the press. So we um, have a software development company uh, in Portugal, which mm -hmm. is Critical Tech Works. Um, we have bought it. Um, so we have a lot of developers sitting in Portugal. Mm -hmm. So, and they are really collaborating virtually with our teams. So we have this within our company, mm -hmm. um, uh, but not in the sense you mentioned before. I to hire like a um, like to hire freelancers and and, and mm -hmm. to to bring them on board. Right? Mm -hmm. But that means you give away a little bit of control, even if you have people sitting in Portugal. There might be a manager that keeps control of yeah. what happens there. But it's less control than if all people would be in the same headquarter. So this could be a step forward into a more flexible workforce, right? So you Absolutely. split more and more small teams across the globe, for example. And then they, these teams prove that it works, that they deliver results, even if they are not in the headquarter. And after that, the next shift could be people work from home. And then people become freelancers. This yeah. could be a transformation. Absolutely. Um, and... and 
this agile transformation has also one benefit that you don't need so much control of mm -hmm. the input anymore because you see output every three weeks. Mm -hmm. So um, you can control or you can check all three weeks uh, whether you are heading in the right direction or whether stuff is, is getting done. And then you are looking at the outcomes and the output and not mm -hmm. just um, look at the people sitting in your office. Right? Yeah, so absolutely. This, this really um, is a benefit and, and, and goes in the right direction. Mm -hmm. um, so there are currently many organizations that say, Agile, of course we do that. But it's just a buzzword on their wall, on their next uh, agenda for their next meeting. They are not agile. Um, how, how can organizations check if they are agile? And if I go to an organization, how can I see, is this organization really working and thinking agile? Hmm. Um, that's not easy. <laughs> Um, so what I'm looking at mostly is, um, if they are just agile in one small part, like say they are just doing the software development in an agile way, but, uh, in front of it, there is, uh, one year writing some paper. And then after it, uh, it's getting integrated in a software release and uh, half a year later, it's, it's released. So um, they are not agile in an end-to-end -end fashion, mm -hmm. right? They're just doing some software development in sprints, but this is not the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, and, and one question I normally ask is why they think they want to be agile. Mm -hmm. So, um, and the people tell you different things then it depends on whether they have understood it or whether they don't uh what agile really means and and the most common question is they want to be more efficient and they want to be faster and stuff like this and but mm -hmm. this is um in my opinion not the core of agility the core of agility is adaptability so it's about uh being flexible being able to change direction uh very fast and this is not per se uh, efficient. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's not efficient, but it has to do with uh, not knowing where to go. It has to do with uncertainty. And, and if you ask for the why, um, basically the people have to admit somehow that there is uncertainty. Mm -hmm. And if they, got, if they have understood this uncertainty, they are in, in the right direction. But mm -hmm. if they are, are, are still plan-driven and are still thinking they can uh, plan for like about two years in, in, uh, in advance mm -hmm. um, and then tell me they are doing this in an agile way, this is a contradiction. Absolutely. This even made it much more clear for me what is agile or what is the difference between agile and efficiency. You can be efficient if you plan a year and then implement for two years. You can be efficient. But if you want to be agile, it's more about flexibility and adaptability. That is very, very good to hear. And that makes some things more clear to me. And that's a huge goal for organizations to be more flexible because the world changes every day fast. So if we face organizations be not agile today, 
what can an organization or a manager do tomorrow to get one step closer to being agile? Hmm. Well, it, this of course depends of the organization and what they are doing. But um, I think the most important thing is to, to leave behind this plan-driven um, paradigm. Most people have this thing we, we have to plan out like for a year or even two years in advance and then just implement stuff. And this is not like the world is, is working at the moment. So um, they have to, to rethink. I would suggest that you rethink this plan-driven paradigm and go more to a value-driven paradigm. So not to plan everything for the next three years, but instead have a bold vision, like we want to fly to the moon, but then focus on the next steps for the next three weeks and get those done. And then see if you're one step closer to the goal or if you aren't. So it's about getting feedback in short cycles towards a uh, bold goal. Right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think going bold is what many organizations really miss. Because if you don't go bold, mm. you will not make mistakes and you are always moving in your comfort zone. And that feels good for people. Yeah, of course. They want to move forward fast and flexible, but they want to stay in their comfort zone. And do you have a, something like a, a training or an advice how people can train to leave their comfort zone to be more flexible in their mindset and move to an agile direction? Well, not, not, not really. Um, what we recently um, try to is to work more with uh, objective and key results, which came from Google, which was not invented at Google, but more at Intel, uh, but, um, which is about setting bold goals, right? Um, but then if you talk about goals in a large corporation, you, talk, you probably always talk about bonuses. You always talk about all these uh, mistakes you have in the system, which are built on this paradigm that, uh, of the lazy human, right? You always have to motivate people. Mm -hmm. um, so you you, uh, you you build organizations that you give bonuses to getting those to those goals, but this is will not get you the bold goals and will not give you the vision and the direction you need. So mm -hmm. you have to decouple these things. Um, but objective and key results is a great me uh, method for setting goals. Mm -hmm. But doesn't this require more transparency? If you really want to set key results and go bold, that means yep. that if um, the organization wants people to move into a bold goals direction, they need to be able to see and understand how their daily actions influence their way to this goal. Doesn't this require much, much more transparency than organizations have today? Absolutely, but what, what is the sense in, in setting goals without transparency? Right? Uh, I mean, what, what is the sense of a goal that is just in a, just in a few managers' heads, uh, mm -hmm. but not in the, in the heads of the people that are doing the work? Right? It just doesn't make sense. You, you need this transparency. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, yeah, I would definitely advocate for this, that we need this transparency. Yeah. And it's, I think it, we're talking 
if we're talking really about radical transparency, I mean, making everything open, make salaries open, make your financial statements of the organization open, make really everything open so that each and every smart mind in the organization can understand what's happening everywhere yeah. and act to solve problems where they appear. What do you think is necessary to move into this direction of radical transparency? Well, I have no answer for this. Um, I, I tried this in the startup years uh, and I even failed uh, in the startup years on this point. So oh. we, we had a lot of transparency, but we, had, we didn't have this radical transparency and I, I wanted it, but we, we couldn't agree on it basically mm -hmm. in the end. So I even didn't manage it to, to get this transparency in this startup. Uh, mm -hmm. And I have no idea whatsoever mm -hmm. how, to, how to transform a corporation in this direction. I'm not sure if this will be possible. Maybe it's because not all people have the same interest working in this organization? Maybe, but then we should ask why. Why sure. is it that they don't have the same interests? So why is it that they don't feel the same purpose because mm -hmm. they have lost it somehow and then they don't uh, see their contribution to this purpose anymore because either they don't know the purpose or they don't feel the connection to their contribution and so on. So, um, well, it's a, when in the end, it's a, it's a deficit in leadership, right? So Absolutely. You don't get across this uh, purpose. If you don't, if you have people that don't feel this purpose, you have a mm -hmm. leadership problem. That's the next problem. Now we have leadership, agile, digital, virtual. So there are definitely many, many challenges that corporations are facing. Um, to sum it up, it was a great conversation with you. It was very valuable for me as well to understand how things are going at BMW, how you think and how you define leadership and agile culture. Um, I will definitely follow up on your blog post and social media. If others want to follow up on your latest content, where can they contact you and reach out to you? Well, um, the best thing is to, to, like you mentioned, to read my blog posts in my, in my blog where I uh, publish it originally. Uh, the blog is called Führung Erfahren. Mm -hmm. um, and you will probably link it in the show notes anyway. Sure. Um, because for the English speaking people, it's not so easy and I never translated the title. Um, but the blog posts are in English mm -hmm. and in German. So this is the best place. And then LinkedIn and Twitter uh, are the second best places, I think. Yes. Okay, perfect. Then uh, thanks a lot for having the time here on the show. It was uh, very valuable again for me to understand what's going on there. And I hope we will stay in contact. Thanks for being here. Of course. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Bye. I'd like to thank our guest, Marcus Reitner, for joining us today. You can find out more about Marcus on his website using the link in the show notes. You can subscribe to The Virtual Frontier or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else podcasts are found. 
If you'd like to learn more about using virtual teams as a service, visit flashhub.io. On behalf of the team here at FlashHub, I'd like to thank you for listening. So until next episode, keep exploring new frontiers.